Welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. These podcasts are designed to motivate, educate, and to inspire you to take huge action in your life, to change your life from this moment on. I interview inspiring guests with amazing stories that you can hopefully learn from, relate to, and spur you on to achieve big things. If you want to follow my personal journey and all the different things that we do, please follow me on Instagram, which is Terry underscore Blackburn underscore property. Or on YouTube, my page is Terry Blackburn property. Me, myself, I've been from rags to riches, had nothing. Now I've built multiple businesses earning over millions of pounds. I have a multi-million pounds portfolio of property up in the northeast of England. I am by no means done yet. So please get in touch if you love the show. If you have any feedback for me, I'd really appreciate that. And I'm happy to help as many people as I possibly can. That's what this show is all about. So enjoy the episode. Take care, have a fantastic day, and don't just take notes, take action. Hi, and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. Now, today's guest is a guy called Jatin Ondia. I actually just started speaking on LinkedIn, had a good chat with Jatin. He's got a really interesting story, a really successful career as well that I think a lot of people will really be inspired by and enjoy listening to. So he's a serial entrepreneur. He has an investment banking background. He's uh, started off funding other developers' projects of between one and five million. He's now launched an investment platform, which uh, helps investors in over 40 countries. Currently, he's, fun- he's funding £170 million worth of projects at the moment. He has his own personal portfolio of in excess of £10 million. Really impressive guy in business and in property. So I'm sure there's some lessons from the episode. So welcome to the show, Jatin. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, mate. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a very, very busy man doing all the different things <laughs> that you do. So I appreciate your time today. No worries. <laughs> Thank you, mate. So, so yeah, what we'd like to, to talk about on the show, Jatin, is uh, the three parts of your career so far. So that's the start, how you got into property and business. The middle part, which is the exciting part, which is the growth part, any key highlights and lessons in sort of parts of your career that you'd like to share. And then the current is just what your attention is on right now. There's any specific businesses or property strategies or anything that you're looking at that you think is one for the future or the current. That'd be great. And we'll just sort of see where it takes us. Chat in if that's okay with you. Yeah, sounds good. Brilliant. Perfect. Excellent. So let's start off with a start then, Jatin. So how have you went from basically having nothing growing up um, to you know, how did you first get into this sector, property, investment, banking world? Hey, sure. So so I, I should say I didn't have nothing growing up. I grew up in a standard middle class suburban family on the outskirts of London. I grew up in Pinner, local state school. So, you know, nothing extravagant. Um, uh, but, you know, we were OK. Um, but my dad was in uh, in retail so you know like a lot of indians he owned the shop um but uh, just like with a lot of uh, uh, people uh, you know of indian origin they believe in property so my dad uh, ever since i was young was always talking about investing in property and so whenever he could with his brothers they would buy commercial property not expensive ones you know they could be out in the middle of nowhere but the idea was investing their money and uh, you know their whole kind of idea behind it was, you know, just invest your money so that it grows and then, and then you've got this kind of income stream rather than buying flashy things like, you know, flashy cars and things like that. So I very much grew up with that kind of mentality. So, um, 
it was no surprise then that uh, you know I, I, after university, so I studied uh, accounting and law at university. Uh, didn't didn't really want to become an accountant or a lawyer, uh, and then ended up getting into banking. And uh, as soon as I started working, uh, it was no surprise then that the first thing I did was look for for property to buy because I knew that I didn't want to get down that slippery slope of spending my money on. Uh, expensive clothes and flashy cars. So I just started immediately investing my money, and um, and what was quite interesting was that that this this grew, this portfolio grew. Uh, so you know, every time I'd, I'd have any savings or I got any bonuses or anything, I'd plow it into real estate. And it wasn't long before I was generating quite a nice passive income stream. And I'd get asked by a lot of people, you know, how how I was doing that, how I was generating this whole other income stream while maintaining a full time job. And, um, and, you know, I, I, I explained that it's not actually that difficult. You know, when you break it down, it was actually quite simple. But, um, but, but a lot of people, you know, you realize don't have time or, or their priorities are elsewhere. Um, and even, even, you know, very, very smart people that I was surrounded by in banking were, they were great at their job, but they couldn't quite uh, figure out how to invest in real estate. Um, and then uh, after a while, people just started saying, look, can we just invest some money with you? And, uh, and that's really what got this uh, idea off the ground. We thought, well, actually, there's a lot of people in a similar boat who would love to invest in real estate, who have investable funds, but actually don't know how to do it or don't have the, uh, the time to do it. So actually, there's a business opportunity here. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're completely right. Hence why a lot of people do on a much smaller scale to what you've done. Um, you know, the angel investment type stuff, someone will lend £100,000 for a set return because you're right, they don't have the time or the knowledge or um, or the experience just to do it themselves, you know? Yeah, um, and, 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 and that is exactly a, a really good point, right? Because, you know, even with angel investors, you know, quite often they'll want to invest in something, but if they don't actually understand the subject matter, how, how do they know what they're investing in? And this was the problem faced by a lot of people I was speaking to, even in, in, um, uh, uh, in, in, in the professional sectors in the city was, you know, you could go to a, a, a high performing investment banker or even a lawyer, an accountant, you know, any, any, any kind of industry and um, say to them, you know, a, a developer could go to them and say, look, I need £100,000 for this project. And they could certainly give the money right? Because they have it comfortably and, and the returns could be great, you know, but they've got no way of knowing if it's a good project or not because they don't have the subject matter expertise. And that's what, what, what I started realizing the problem was with a lot of people. It's they want to invest in these sectors, but they don't really understand it. And like a lot of people, you, you'll go one of two ways. You'll either put money in blindly because oh, I, I've known Bob for 10 years, so he must know what he's doing, therefore I'll give him 100 grand. Um, but you don't really understand what the risks are. Um, or you go the other way and you just keep saying no to every opportunity. And the, the, the one thing we know, and, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners here also know, is whatever you're doing, it's really important to build up that, you know, your investments, that passive income stream, because it's that the freedom that it gives you to, to do whatever you want in life, you know, to, to not have to work just to earn that, you know, the, the, the salary and, and the monthly wages coming into your account. You want to be in a position where ideally you're passively generating that income, which leaves you free to pursue whatever it is you want to do. Now, that could be that could be something um, in terms of work or, you know, you want to work in a certain type of environment 
or it could be just doing something completely different like charity work or it could be something in between like taking a, a lower paid job which is more fulfilling you know being a teacher being a, a, a nurse or something you know so the, the the point is that having a having the investing your money wisely gives you a lot of freedom and the the, the wealthy realized this a long time ago which is why they've always invested their money wisely the rest of us we were never taught this stuff in school so so shows like yours are fantastic because it lets people know that actually it's possible for everyone to do that um and and it doesn't matter whether you're a high earner or a low earner you can still follow the same method it's, it's very methodical to kind of build up your your investments some great points i think you mentioned then and There'll definitely be people who who agree with that and, and maybe they'll have just a little bit of a light bulb moment there because yeah I like what you said there about the wealth knew this a long time ago they did and that's the reason why they're wealthy and that's normally just been passed down from their parents or the things that they've done in their in their life you know um and there's still sometimes it seems to me it's probably the same for you it seems like there's a lot of people are doing the same things that I'm doing or interested in the same things but that's just because it's my circle yeah, but my circle is probably not the norm. Yeah. You know, you imagine yours is the same. There's a whole wide world out there, people who right. don't even know what we're talking about, and, and if we can educate people, in yeah, um, that, well, that well, well and, and that's the that's the beauty of shows like yours. You know, let let's spread this world. Let's spread the knowledge. I mean, recently I was I was engaged in my son's school because one of my biggest bugbears is that students can come out of university and whatever degrees they you know they 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 have but they still don't know how a mortgage works. What we need to do is break it all down, go all the way back to basics into the schooling to teach people about finance and business and entrepreneurship. In the future, I firmly believe everyone's going to be some form of entrepreneur. You've got a service to sell. You know, the days of a, a lifelong career in one institution or, or company, it's long gone. So we need to know how to sell our services. We need to know how to pursue our own goals in life but not be stuck in this, this cycle of, you know, having to just earn a wage to pay, you know, put food on the table and keep a roof over your head. Everyone's capable of doing a lot more. So let's enable everyone. And coming back to your point about, about wealth and, and, and historically the wealthy, you see probably about, uh, I think it was post-World War II when um, investments into things like mutual funds all started taking off. The, 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 the problem that you have is your average man on the street who, you know, or woman, sorry, I should say, you know, they might be earning a reasonable salary and, and whatnot, but by the time they paid all their taxes and everything, you know, they've got a certain amount left and then they might think of investments. Now they might be thinking, you know, putting it through their pension on a tax efficient basis. And even outside of their pension, they might be investing their money. The problem is that most people only have access to mainstream investments. The problem with mainstream investments is that, that a lot of money is pursuing the same investments and therefore the returns are much, much lower. Now, I know personally from my pension from UBS days, it's got absolutely rubbish performance. But the problem is that it's kind of stuck in this pension pot. But what the wealthy know is that actually the wealthy don't put their money into a bog standard um, you know, fidelity fund or standard life fund or LNG fund. What they do is they look for the alternative investments, the areas which are less uh, liquid, less well known, and there's less information because actually that's when you can make supersized returns. Yeah, so yeah. 
putting it in really, really simple, uh, in, 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 in a simple kind of example, if a developer is developing a building, traditionally a developer, you know, when they first start off, they tap into friends and family for the equity they need, and then they borrow money from the bank and they do the project, they pay back their friends and family with some interest, and then they got money for the next project. Just like any other business, as a developer grows and starts doing bigger developments, they hit a funding gap in the market because they're too big for their friends and family network. And the problem is, unless you're uh, trying to raise at least 20 million pounds, you can't really go to the private equity funds. So they're kind of stuck in this, this middle space. Now, traditionally, what would have happened is they would have gone to the wealthiest person they know, pitch their idea, and that wealthy person might turn around and say, okay, all right, you know what? Yep, I'll give you all the money you want, and, and they'll take a very, very handsome return. Remember, this is not friends and family now. This is someone who's wealthy for a reason because they're commercially minded. <laughs> so yeah. they're going to take their pound of flesh, but the developer gets what they need, the investor gets what they need, and actually everything carries on. And that's how the rich have become richer because they – they're the only ones that can provide the capital for these kind of opportunities and the developers have nowhere else to go. So they have to go to these, these wealthy guys. What we've done is said, well, okay, well, what if we are that wealthy guy, but behind us, we break it into lots of little pieces and we enable people to put in five grand, 10 grand, whatever smaller tickets they want to put in, but they can access the same opportunity and get the same returns that very wealthy person had. So now suddenly you've got this alternative investment where your returns are significantly higher than what you would get on your, in your bog standard pension fund or, or uh, any kind of uh, investment fund. And that's, that's, that's the way we're looking at it. We're, we're trying to, yes, we're providing funding for uh, real estate and development and so on, but actually you know, what we're trying to do is disrupt the whole asset management industry. We're trying to, break down the barriers between the two segments, the wealthy and everybody else. And we're trying to say, no, everybody should be able to access the full spectrum of investments. I love that. I think that's a, it's a great thing that you're trying to do. The, the mission statement, the vision, I think is great, isn't it? Like, and that's you know, no, no surprise why you're doing so well. <laughs> it's happening to that, having that mission statement. I think it's, um, it's great. But just, just if we pull it back from, obviously we've went from normal upbringing into banking and then to to this platform that you have at the moment so what about the before the platform you said you were buying some commercial property getting a, a good sort of passive income yourself um was it just a gradual process to get to this investment fund or was there other things that happened within that yeah so 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 as i said as soon as i started working i started buying property um and then with my work um i was sent off to new york for a while and while i was in new york I saw some really good uh, concepts out there, like uh, food concepts, drink concepts. Um, and my favorite was juice bars. I just love juice bars. So um, in 2007, now the date obviously sounds really weird. In 2007, before the market, the world knew the market was about to fall off a cliff, <laughs> yeah. um, I resigned and I came back to London. And when I came back to London, I, uh, my idea was to open up a, a juice bar. I just wanted to leave banking behind, open up a juice bar because I felt it was the future. People were getting more health conscious and, and so on. So in 2008, we opened, uh, I say we, like my wife and I opened our first juice bar in London. The problem was in 2008, the market had fallen off a cliff. People were struggling, uh, you know, literally the world was in chaos. The most stupid time in history to open a juice bar. 
uh, a juice bar at that time being very much a luxury item because it wasn't the kind of thing that people needed every day. And what we found was that as people's um, uh, kind of discretionary spending reduced, it wasn't a very good uh, model for a juice bar. And the worst thing was that I was trying to be very purist in the way we did it. Today, you can, get, you can find juice bars. They do cold-pressed juices, all these things. Uh, yeah. Back in 2008, I was doing cold-pressed juices. It just wasn't even heard of. Nobody even knew what it was. But we were so far ahead. We were way ahead of our time. And um, as you can imagine, it was a disaster. I lost a lot of money. And uh, literally month on month, seeing that money go from my savings, leave my account, um, I, I was burning up. Luckily, in 2009, uh, they were building up my team again at UBS in London. So after I left, they, they actually reduced the size of the team because of the crash. And then they were building it up again in 2009 in London. So luckily, I was in touch with them and I managed to get a job there. But before I did that, I, I, I did a lot of educating. I did a lot of reading. And I realized my single biggest, most fundamental mistake. And that was when I went off to do this thing I was very passionate about, this juice bar, I didn't secure my overheads, my, my income through passive income. You know, I didn't secure my passive income to cover my overheads. And uh, so even though I had some properties, it wasn't enough to cover our, our, our day-to-day expenses. And remember, our savings were now dwindling. So when I went back to UBS, um, that's when I just, I just thought, you know what, I've, I've got to use this opportunity of having a decent job, a good salary. You know, I can get a good mortgage on, on more properties. And that's when I absolutely ramped up because the second thing that happened, and, and again, it, it's often these things, it's, it's kind of, um, you kind of get lucky in terms of timing and all these things. But I was looking around London and I realized that there, you know, there were some fantastic properties in central London, ex-local authority properties, which had been sold off into the private sector many years before. Um, and you could get three, four, five bed properties in central London in zone one but they were going for a fraction of the price the new build properties were going at. So literally you could pick up a four bed flat in um, uh, John's Wood for the same price as a, a one bed flat or a two bed flat just down the road. It didn't make sense. And also I realized that, you know, students, young professionals all like to live together. If you don't have enough three, four, five bed flats, they're all gonna be competing for the same properties that are available. So, so, so that was the opportunity I, I recognized and I, I went nuts. I, I just started buying everything I could find. Um, <laughs> and, and, and literally I, I didn't have that much cash obviously because I'd already burnt through a lot of my cash. So as soon as I'd, I'd run out of my own cash, I, I tapped into everyone I knew, every friend, every family member. And we couldn't agree on, on how to do it, you know, on a joint venture basis. You know, if, if I wanted to sell, they didn't, or they wanted to sell, I didn't, what do we do? In the end, I said, look, I'll give you 8%, fixed, guaranteed, personally guaranteed. You just give me the cash. And I knew on their eight, on their money, I could generate 14, 15%. And, and it was as clear cut as that. So I'd go into these properties, just renovate them. At the end of the day, it doesn't cost much to renovate a property, right? To make it nice. And one thing a lot of students used to say to me was, wow, it, it's actually really, really nice. And they were telling me these horror stories of other properties they were looking at. And and, and that's, you know, it, it really kind of um, stuck with me because I thought it doesn't cost much to renovate and make it a nice place for students to live in. So I, I just kept doing that. And, and as you can imagine, the competition got more uh, fierce, you know, more and more people wanted these properties. They pushed up the rents. Um, and, and that's ultimately what enabled me to leave UVS for the second time, because by then I had all that passive income 
and and that's when we started Shojin. Yeah, it's it's a great story, and I, I think um, there's a few lessons there. You know, timing being one of the juice bar. You know, everyone knows juice bars these days; they're everywhere. Well, not everyone. There's quite a lot of them anyway, and and you always yeah. think, what five six pound for a bloody juice? Right, the markup's huge, and it, and it, it will be same similar to coffee and stuff. But just having that concept, which is the right concept, just the wrong time. Mm. Um, you know, timing is important, isn't it? And yeah. and also another thing I picked up that you said they're falling back, falling back on the property and making sure property or that passive income stream is like the cornerstone to to your wealth generation. It's a safety net. It safeguards you against recessions, crashes, and other things. Is it is is again a key lesson that you know a lot of people will know about that the importance of it, but some people won't and. In, in your proof that 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 it works, you know. Um, yeah, it, it's that whole i the whole idea of just just secure yourself first, and then go and do whatever crazy stuff you yeah, want to do. Definitely, definitely, um, love that. So then, to let let's get into the the growth of this. So, what was the platform called? Uh, it's called Shojin. S H O J I N. Shojin. Shojin. Um, so tell us about Shojin. So uh, 170 million pounds worth of projects it's funding currently. Is that is that correct? Yeah. So so, so we we provide the junior funding though. So we provide the equity. So we've got about uh, 25 to 30 million pounds of equity on these projects that are developing 170 odd million pounds worth of real estate in the UK. Yeah. The reason we like equity is um, when we, so 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 when I left UBS, like I said, a lot of people wanted to invest in this sector. So as I was doing that that ramp up on my rental portfolio, that's when we started getting a lot of people asking us about, well, can we can we can we join you guys? Can we can we give you some money to invest on our behalf? And uh, and and that's really what got us thinking about actually launching something like this. So we started off with, like I said, just rental properties that moved on to renovation and flip. So buy, renovate, flip. Um, and then that moved into full ground up construction, culminating in, you know, 100 plus units. And then we realized we were missing a trick. Um, I, I, I make no bones about it. I, I, I hate development itself, as in being there, dealing with it. It's such a contrast to the environment I was used to working in. You know, in, in, in banking, if you have a meeting and, uh, you know, Bob says to you, yep, I'm going to do this by this time next week. You meet next week and it's done. Whereas in the building industry, that doesn't happen. You meet next week and they'll say, "What? Well, I never promise anything." No, no, no. And I couldn't deal with it. But um, but there are people out there who are fantastic at developing, who who can deliver projects, who can find the right sites. And what we found was this is that funding gap I was talking about earlier. There's, they're very good developers because they're experienced, but they don't have the funding that they need to keep growing their business. Because, you know, if you imagine if a developer needs 10 million pounds for a project, let's say, they might get six and a half million from a bank or a senior lender. They might have, say, a million pounds, but that leaves a funding gap in the middle. That's where we come in, because what we realized was rather than us doing all that work, they're much better at it than we are. But they're no good at fundraising. We're very good at fundraising. So what we, we would say to them is bring us your project. We'll do all the due diligence on it. If we think the project is good. We'll provide you all the capital that you need to, to get the project going. So um, and then what we would do is, is, is we would do all the due diligence, everything in the house, and we would treat it as if it's our own project. We would also put money into it and, and then we would invite other investors to come in and join us. 
And that's when uh, investors could come in and, and put whatever amount of money they wanted to into the project. Now, when we, when we first started doing this, we were taking investments of say 100, 150,000 pounds uh, per person. But what we then realized was we were missing yet another trick. So this was going really well. We were funding other developers, getting great returns for our investors. We were taking a spread on the return. So investors were getting great returns. We were getting great returns. We got our profit at the end of the project rather than at the beginning. So it aligns us with investors. That was really important to us because I hate it when people say, oh, you know, I'm going to take a 5% fee for introducing this project or something, but they do no work. You know, what we wanted was we wanted to have our own skin in the game and we would oversee the project, monitor everything on behalf of investors, and then we would share the profit. So from an investor's perspective, they know that our nuts are on the line. You know, we get paid when they get paid. So it's all aligned. But, but the, the, the second thing that happened was um, we realized that, okay, it's all well and good putting 100 grand per project, you know, per investment, you know, uh, uh, from, from the investor into each project. But there's a lot of people out there who would love to get involved in this, but they wouldn't want to do 100. They want to do five grand, 10 grand, you know, that, that type of thing. So, so we then went and uh, started uh, applying for our FCA license to launch this as an online investment platform. And it took the best part of two years, but we finally got it. And then we launched it as an online platform. And, and because by then we could do it online, it meant we could bring down the minimum investment size because actually from an administration perspective, it, it was much reduced. The technology was handling it all. So, so we then launched it online in 2017, I think it was. And, um, and since then, it's just absolutely exploded. It's, it's, uh, we're in 40 countries now. But the first um, massive uh, kind of non-UK set of investors coming on were actually from Hong Kong. And um, this, this happened without us even realizing it because, because what happened was a, an old colleague of mine from UBS had invested in our company. Uh, and he, we'd worked together over in New York. Now he'd gone back to Singapore and his brother happened to be at his house on the day that we launched. So he showed his brother what we were doing. It just so happened that his brother is very, very big on social media there, has a very big following. Um, and he's, you know, he's previously run and sold a big marketing agency, a listed marketing agency. Anyway, so, so this brother of his says, oh, this looks really good. Let me tell my, uh, my uh, followers about it. So he went on, on his blog or whatever it was, and, and he messaged, you know, uh, about the platform. And suddenly overnight, we were seeing like, you know, hundreds of people registering from Hong Kong. And it, it took us a few weeks to realize how that had happened. But once we realized, we thought, wow, you know, he can do this with one blog. What can he do if we actually engage with him a bit more? And since then, we've worked together and actually he's made Asia our fastest growing market. That's just a, that's a great a, a great key point there which i think applies to so many different it applies to any business that the principle of that somebody these influencers the world that we live in people buy off the influence of others massively yeah. those have done but now it's it's online isn't it and one person who's well known well respected has a following promote something one little thing can can explode an idea or a concept of business um it's a, so it's a, powerful. It's crazy, yeah. isn't it? You know, like 30 years ago, like when the internet wasn't even big, like 
or it didn't even exist. Like these things could have never happened. A platform can go yeah. huge. That it's just it, it's it's crazy. Yeah. But it's at the end of the day, you you took the risk out. You put yourself in that position to get to make that happen. Ultimately, didn't you? So it's not a it's not a look. It's you're still going to put yourself. If you're not on the pitch, you're never going to score the goal, right? So <laughs> you've got to be in it to win it. Yeah, in fair play. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, but, but but I'll tell you what, it is, it is, um, you know, I, I'm probably a bit of an old timer compared to, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of the listeners out there, you know, so I'm, I'm still getting to grips with um, a lot of the kind of online social media side of things and influencers and all these things, you know, in, in my time, I mean, I, I ran little businesses while I was at school and uni and all this kind of stuff. And it was really simple, you know, the very traditional form of marketing, you get out there, stick a few leaflets out there. But, but the world has changed so much, but in a fantastic way because you're no longer restricted. So even a, a small company can have a huge impact. You don't need the marketing budget of the big firms. You can compete, you know, you can go head to head with another of these guys. And this is what makes it really exciting in, in business uh, in today's world. Definitely. Love that. Love that. Um, you're so right. You're so right. You come across very um, forward thinking, Jatin. I think you're, that, that's what the vibe I'm getting from you anyway, quite creative um, type person. What's your view on property strategies currently and going forward? Is there any sort of hot strategies, preferred strategies that you that you think right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think first of all, straight buy to let, I don't think it's worth doing anymore for a whole host of reasons. The yields are low, the regulations are, are much tougher, um, and it's just not, in my view, if you've got, for example, a hundred grand to spend, you could spend a hundred grand on buying one apartment and rent it out and so on. But actually you can do a hell of a lot more with that hundred grand. And, and, and the first thing I think a lot of people are uh, missing out on still is what's going on in the uh, fractional investment market. So not just Shojin, you know, there's a number of other players out there. Now there's a lot of shoddy players out there let's just be very clear and honest about this there's a lot of charlatans there's a lot of scammers you know i always say make sure that you know whoever you talk to first and foremost are fca regulated but even beyond that there are certain firms that are better than others but there are a lot of good firms and what that means is as an investor you can actually spread your money across different types of investments different timelines different risk levels and you can build a fantastic portfolio, a very good uh, returning portfolio. And it will be so much better than just buying a buy-to-let. Now, if you're really dead set on just buying assets, even then, um, we, for, for example, a couple of years ago, we bought a, a student accommodation block in Nottingham. At the time, uh, you know, we'd worked it all out and investors would get something like a 6% cash-on-cash return every year plus the capital growth, giving them an overall uh, return on capital of around 15% per annum. Now, since then, we've actually shot through that. I mean, COVID kind of slowed things down a bit, but then it's kind of shot through the other side. And, um, and the returns are much higher. Now, imagine the investor. The investor hasn't had to do anything. They've put their money in. We're doing all the, all the, all, all the donkey work on that. Uh, you know, they don't have to worry about regulations. They don't have to worry about finding new tenants. They don't have to worry about paying tenancy fees or you know fixing the boiler when it goes wrong or you know whatever it is and um and and you know when i look at it it, it, it's an absolute no-brainer so 
I now say to everyone I know, all my friends, all my family, don't bother doing individual rentals now. This is the way forward because, you know, you're, you're buying a bigger building. You're, you're, you know, you're basically part of something much bigger. But also remember, like, for example, the assets that we're buying or that we bought in that instance, they're in that middle market, which is, you know, it was only, I say only, it was 12 million pounds, too small for institutions, too big for most individuals. So it was the perfect size because it had the most value. So what we have found is platforms like ours, and it's not just Shojin, there are other platforms. We find the inefficiencies in the market where we can then generate superior returns, not because we're clever, simply because the market's inefficient. And, um, and that's, again, the strategy that the super wealthy adopt. They look for inefficiencies in the market, and that's where they go in with their cash. So it's in terms of if we're just focusing on the assets, it's not the sort of normal battle anymore. It's the higher return and type strategies, HMOs, block, multi-unit blocks and things. Is that the kind of stuff that you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, I'd, I'd go for, for kind of professional run, kind of student accommodation blocks. Um, uh, we're loving PRS at the moment, uh, rental or uh, rental schemes, co-living, senior living. You know, looking at the future of housing in the UK, you know, those are the kind of directions things are moving in. So I would say if, if, if you're thinking of your, your uh, property investment strategy for the next year, two years, try and go for those bigger assets on a fractional basis rather than smaller assets on an individual basis. Cool. No, that's good advice. That's good advice. What's next for, for you and Shojin? Where, where do you want to take this, this platform and this company? So, so we're, we're actually, you know, again, looking ahead, you know, if you fast forward 20 years, it's going to be the norm. Everybody will whip out their phone and they'll be investing in real estate, you know, whenever they want to. And they'll be selling out as well. There'll be a much more active and liquid market for people to trade in and out. What we've realized is that Shojin can't do this alone. And every platform, you know, it, it may have started off thinking they wanted to be the market. They can't. Only the market can be the market. So, Having spoken to a number of other platforms, both you know, across the UK, across Europe, and now actually around the world, what we're starting to do is bring a number of um, top players together to standardize the market. Because to bring this into the mainstream, investors need to be able to compare products. So if you invest in a product on our platform and a product on another platform, or, or you're thinking of investing in these products, Today, you can't really compare like for like. It's like it is actually apples and oranges. Terminology is different. There's all sorts of differences. But what if we standardize it? So any platform you go on, they all have the same information in the same format, and it means the same thing to an investor. Well, suddenly you can compare it. And what if you apply risk metrics to it as well? So you can see uh, an A-rated bond here and an A-rated bond there. You know which one's got better returns. You know what are your views on the location? You know, so it's trying to standardize all of this so that we can almost um, bring uh, alternative investments on, on these kind of platforms into the mainstream. But then, and this is the really exciting that then the idea is that once we've standardized everything, we will work together to create that centralized marketplace. And you know, my, my view on these things is, yeah, of course we can go it alone. Anybody can go it alone and try and do things by themselves. But you know, really, I'll, you know, it's more fun working with other entrepreneurs because you, you, you've got like-minded people dotted everywhere and we're all pulling in the same direction. So, you know, I don't care if I'm not as rich as a Jeff Bezos. I'd rather be nice and, and you know, 
work with these other platforms in a, in, and, and kind of collaborate so that we're, we're getting a win-win result for everyone, both from the, the firms themselves, but also for, for investors as a whole. Um, I think the days are gone when you have these kind of mega entrepreneurs, because actually a lot of mega entrepreneurs are complete, actually I should watch my language, uh, but are not very nice <laughs> yeah, in the I process. Know what you're say, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, uh, Microsoft trod on so many small companies in its quest for growth. Yeah, he's giving it all away today. But what about all the people he affected on the journey? What about all those people he trampled on? So my view is you don't need to do that because you can't take it with you when you go. So you know what? You, your legacy might as well be that you're working collaboratively with everyone to actually change the world, but in a better way compared to uh, old school mega entrepreneurs. Yeah, I, I, I really agree with that point. And a good friend of mine, I was just chatting to him yesterday. We're talking about collaboration, how, how it you know, people used to say cash is king. Collaboration is almost king now. And his phrase is the more hands you shake, the more money you make. So, you know, the more collaborations that you do, I think you're completely right. And the solopreneur, the person that does it all themselves, you know, normally get burnt out at some point. The person who doesn't have a big team and he tries to run it on his shoestring. The same principle, right? You know, you, I actually done a post on this the other day about nobody's really self-made People say I'm self-made and I'm this and I'm that. I've done it all myself. Well, you haven't because you've had, you've either had a network, you've had a mentor, you've had support, you've had a coach, you've got a team, you've lent on other people, you've asked for advice. Therefore, you're not self-made, and, and that's what collaboration is, right? And and that applies to all sectors and all yeah all industries. You can certainly go further as a team than you can by yourself. Yeah, and 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 also don't forget the other side of it. I mean. What's the point of just trying to do it all by yourself and then one day you just drop dead? I mean, really? Is that is that much fun? You might as well enjoy the journey, you know, and I think people forget that. It is about the journey. You don't have to become an overnight billionaire. Actually, even if you have a slow and steady kind of business growth, if you're doing all the right things, you're working in the right way with the right values with the right people, it'll grow, right? So you might as well enjoy that journey and oh, you know, yeah, spend definitely. time with your family and spend time with your friends and you know, balance things out. It doesn't have to just be, I've got to just focus on, on the business. 100%. Um, I was certainly guilty of that when I was younger. When I first got into, you know, I went self-employed when I was 19. It was like money, money, money. Sacrifice my health, didn't go to the gym. Sacrifice like not going out with my mates, my relationships, stuff I'd like because you just fall. But then with time, you do realise, don't you, that it's not all about that in some people don't even realise this until well in the 40s, 50s and further. They're still only focusing on money. And I was actually just speaking to someone, this, another podcast this morning, where the lady said, you know, if, you, if you're in hospital, really, really ill, might not last much longer, you're not bothered about how much money you've got. You would trade everything, if, even if you are Jeff Bezos, you would trade everything just to feel better. So like, why not just enjoy yourself? And if you don't make as much money, but you still do well, yeah, that's good, that's good enough, but, right? Well, this is it. After a certain amount of wealth, the marginal you know, utility of the additional wealth, you know, if you've got 10 million, having 15 million ain't going to make much difference to your life, right? You know? no, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, you might as well you know, balance it out. And, um, yeah, have you fun. Know, I, 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 many, many years ago, I, I remember, and in fact, this was that period when the, the juice bar was all going pitong and when I was educating myself in, you know what, I've done something wrong here. Clearly, I need, I need to learn, learn the better way to do this. 
But as part of that process, um, I came across a really good thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit morbid, but imagine you're sitting on your deathbed and you want to write the story of your life, right? You know, what is that story going to look like? You know, and, and, and actually, when, you, when, when people actually do that, everyone says this, but when people actually do that and they sit down and they write what they want their life to have been, and then you look at it, you'll find actually money isn't a big part of that. Like, yes, you, you, you want the money because it's like playing a game. You want to show that you've won the game and it's like playing Monopoly or Risk or something. You want to show that you can play the game well. But, you know, when someone's made 10 million, could they make 20 million? Yeah, probably. Who cares, right? So, 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 the, so the point is that when, when you write that story, money is only a certain part of it. It's the rest of it that actually makes up the bulk of your story. How, what were you like to people? What did you give back to society? You know, yeah, you made loads of money, but, but did you actually go and impact society in other ways? You know, did you um, go back and uh, teach people? You know, uh, I can't remember what the name of it was, uh, of the entrepreneur was, but you know, the, the whole idea of actually, I've become wealthy, you know, but it's not something, you know, it's not a secret on how to do this. And, Actually, he wanted other people to, do, to know how to do it because it's just a mindset thing. Um, but then it's all down to, you know, what does wealth mean to different people? So it, it, there's so many different kind of things to, to learn there. Um, and and my, my biggest thing to everyone nowadays is, is to forever be learning. And, and I like to go in and, and, and actually teach this stuff to, to kids and, you know, get involved with that kind of stuff as well. Just because I think it's, it's just really important to spread the knowledge. I think that's um, a, one of, a good way to sort of end it on, on a sort of final note because um, pretty much everybody I've I've spoke to on the show so far has this like has like a like a thirst for knowledge like they're always it doesn't matter if they're a billionaire they've been on here they're worth a hundred million or however much they're worth everybody wants to constantly keep getting better and improving themselves, whether that's the fitness, the health, the way they eat, the, the, the self-development, the books that they read, or you know, everybody's got that bar none. Like everybody I've had on the show who's successful is, is got that. Um, and, and just you personally then, Justin, you see, you come across really, really, um, really well. I think you just come across, like, like I say, quite forward thinking, intelligent. And uh, what would you say? Um, top three books or top three audios if you don't do books, just out of curiosity? <laughs> um, so so it, it chops and changes all the time, but I, I, I read everything. So um, I'm just trying to, my problem is everything gets meshed together. Yeah. But I would well, say- how, um, how, often, how often do you read? Do you read daily? Every day. Uh, every, day. every day, yeah. 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 I mean, my favorite time of the day is probably the last hour when I'm in bed and I'm reading. Because oh, you do it at that, night, yeah. Yeah, and I read a lot of business books, self-development books. Um, I would say uh, Simon Sinek, start with why. Oh, yeah, yeah, great one, uh, yeah. Yeah, really took that on board. I, I, I thought that was brilliant. Um, I've, well, I, I really liked Jim Collins' Good to Great. It's a, it's a shame that... Oh, I haven't done that one. Have you not great. done that? No, I've never done great one, is it? Classic, yeah. Because it's, it's um, he, he, you know, he, he does pin down, you know, the, the DNA uh, on, you know, of successful companies. But then, unfortunately... A few years later, some of those companies did go down um, for, for various reasons. But yeah, I mean, that, that's a really good read. Um, I mean, again, depends where you are in your journey. I mean, obviously, there's Rich Dad, Poor well, Dad for, for very early 
starters, early investors. I would almost say Rich Dad, Poor Dad on steroids is Snowball, uh, the book written by um, Warren Buffett. I haven't even I didn't even I haven't heard of that one either. But there you go. I've got some I've got some reading material now. So anything by Mr. Buffett's got to be good. So I'll, I'll give that one, I'll give that one a go. <laughs> Love that. No, thank you for that. I was just curious more than anything. Um, so um, a question to ask everybody, Jatin, is the show's called the Rags to Riches Show. Um, so what does being rich mean to you? Because you can be rich in time, monetary terms, assets. There's loads of different ways you can be rich. What what does that statement sort of mean to you, being rich? What what's come, what comes in your head? Being rich, to me, and, and I, I, I've not achieved it. I'll, I'll be honest, I've not achieved it. But being rich, to me, is having that perfect balance of everything. So you've got the wealth, so so you don't have to worry about, you know, food on the table and all that stuff, but also you have enough to kind of live the kind of lifestyle that you want. I'm not extravagant. So actually it's, I haven't got a crazy uh, cost base, but then um, balancing that up with time with family, time with friends, exercise, food, everything that you just mentioned, Um, you know, as we're most entrepreneurs, you know, it it goes to extremes, you know, so, so, you know, I'll I'll be working my nuts off for for, for a period of time, but then, so, you know, one by one, I'm trying to, deal with these issues so for example when i'm when i'm at home on the weekends actually i leave my phone in another room i refuse to look at my emails or answer the phone um you know or, or if i'm on holiday with with the kids you know I, I will just be fully focused on them and not thinking about work so so you know i'm getting there i think my next big one is getting myself into the gym so that's probably the toughest one um, <laughs> but yeah i yeah i'd say that yeah no look, I, th- I think that's right i think We've had like such varied answers on that point, but like being rich, you can be rich in every area and you can have it all, can't you? Like, I believe you can be healthy, fit, happy relationships, good family life and be wealthy. You know, you can, you can have it all, but too many people think it's one or the other. Yeah, I, I, I think it's probably the single hardest thing. You know, you know, they sometimes say that, you know, you, you, you have a, a role. In, I mean, in, in Hinduism, obviously, they have, they have various things, but they say, you know, a sense of purpose what is your purpose and goal in life and 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 i think the the ultimate ultimate goal that each of us has is to find that perfect balance between all of those items and and i'm yet to meet someone who's achieved that perfect balance so i don't know i'm sure there are people out there who do it but and and i need to learn from them but uh, it's like a quest it's like a personal quest you know you've got to remember every now and then look it's not all about working or it's not all about such and such a thing you know find the balance bring yourself back into that balance love that love that um Jessin, thank you so so much i've really enjoyed the episode i hope everyone listening and watching has also if anybody wants to reach out to you wants to follow your journey what you're doing look at children or anything what's the best way them for, for them to reach out to to you um, I mean, if you go to our website, shojin.co.uk, yes, S-H-O-J-I-N.co.uk, um, you'll find our contact details on there. Feel free to get in touch or connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm always happy to meet people. I, I, I love meeting new people. Uh, you know, it, it may or may not be kind of business focused, but it's just sharing ideas, you know, and, and uh, yeah, you know, growing networks. I'm, I'm all for it. Cool. Perfect. Thank you so, so much, Jatin. Have a, a fantastic rest of the day and thank you for sharing your story. Brilliant. Th- thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Take Bye. care.